Welcome to the Rhythms Podcast. I'm the editor, Brian Wise. And my special guest in this edition is Rodney Crowell, who was born and raised in Houston, moved to Nashville in the early 1970s, came to prominence first as a writer, and then established himself as a critically acclaimed solo artist in his own right. Crowell has 15 number one songs on the country music charts throughout his career, along with two Grammy Awards, and he's written songs for such country legends as Johnny Cash, Waylon Jennings, Willie Nelson and Emmylou Harris. In fact, he was in Emmylou's hot band for three years. He's also written for current chart toppers like Tim McGraw and Keith Urban, and he's been covered by Etta James, Van Morrison and Bob Seger, to name just a few. In the last 20 years, Rodney Crowell's been inducted into the Nashville Songwriters Hall of Fame. He's received a Lifetime Achievement Award in Songwriting from the Americana Music Association. He's been honoured with ASCAP's prestigious Founders Award. And in 2019, he was presented with the Poets Award by the Academy of Country Music. He also found time to become a celebrated author, publishing his memoir, Chinaberry Sidewalks, and a lyrical retrospective word for word. For his latest album, The Chicago Sessions, Crowell has journeyed north to the Windy City, Chicago, to record a 10-song set produced by Jeff Tweedy and recorded by Tom Schick at Wilco's Loft. Jeff Tweedy said, The way that Rodney Crowell writes is deeply connected to a classic era of country songwriters that I've always loved. In my estimation, it's as close as I can get to working with Towns Van Zandt or Felice and Boudlow Bryant people who crafted songs with a very specific sensibility, and I like being near that. Crowell brought three players with him to the loft, guitarist Jed Hughes, pianist Catherine Marks, and bassist Zachariah Hickman, while Chicago natives John Perrine and Spencer Tweedy, Jeff's son, split the drumming duties. Jeff Tweedy appears on vocals, guitars, and banjo throughout and co-writes one of the songs. Most of the Chicago sessions consist of newly written material, but Crowell revisits two tracks from the 70s. You're Supposed to Be Feeling Good, one of his songs first recorded by Emmylou Harris on her 1977 album, Luxury Liner, and Towns Van Zandt's No Place to Fall. You might recognise the cover of Rodney Crowell's new album as a bit of a familiar callback to the legendary songwriter's 1978 debut. Crowell said, In a lot of ways, this album feels like that very first record to me. When my daughter Chelsea suggested we lay the artwork out similarly, the connection made perfect sense. There's something very simple, very innocent about it. It's just me and the band in a room together, loose and live and having fun. I caught up with Rodney Crowell on Zoom to talk about the Chicago sessions, and let's start by hearing Everything at Once, the song that Rodney Crowell wrote with Jeff Tweedy. Nothing to lean on Everything at once I'll scream in the neon One of these days It will all wash away It's just a matter of time as they say Everything at once Keeps happening in spite of Sad song the night bird sings 
The crack bill that freedom rings The hope that tomorrow may bring Everything at once Oh, nothing at all Hi, Rodney. Okay. Hey. Hey, how Hello. are you? I'm okay. How can I help? Uh, let's have a ch chat about the uh, album, mate. Okay, we can do that. Maybe you can tell us how the connection with Jeff Tweedy came about and the decision to record at Wilco's Loft in Chicago. I was driving home from a session or somewhere late one night and listening to public radio. Jeff came on singing, I know how it feels to be loved. And I listened really closely to it. It, it you know, it caught me and I loved how it sounded. And so I, I, I mean, they sold me a record right there. I, I bought it and started listening to it and enjoyed it very much. And I was a Wilco fan, but first time I'd zeroed in on Jeff as a solo. And as it turned out, we were on a, a boat together on the Kayamo songwriter cruise. And I saw him across the way and I went over and, and said, hey, man, I love your, your, your record, Warm. I've, I've listened to it closely, um, enjoyed it quite a bit. And he said... Cavalier, you know, he said, well, thanks a lot. Why don't you come up and, and you know, and record some in my studio sometime? Which I said, oh, cool, yeah. But it wasn't until I mentioned that to my daughter, who is uh, uh, <laughs> takes pride in knowing such things. And she said, Dad, you need to make a record. You, you were invited to a studio. You just need to go make a record with him. And I said, okay, I'll see. So I had my management call to see if the the invitation was still there and it was and i said well is it an invitation to maybe make a record and it was and so i was off to chicago and made a record i always wanted to record in chicago for obvious reasons so was it your plan to write with him or was it just purely get him to produce the album at that stage purely to get him to produce the album at that stage because i'd written a bunch of songs during covid lockdown and showed them to him and he picked out the ones he liked and uh and and, uh, and then it dawned on me i said well you know we're songwriters we should have a collaboration together so i started uh everything at once and got it sort of going and we and sent it to him said hey let's let's make a record let's write a song together for the record and we while i was on tour we traded back and forth and got the song and recorded it so that's the only one we wrote together. The title is The Chicago Sessions. How different was the recording process compared with other recent albums you've recorded or even albums in the past? Was the recording process for you very different? Yeah, it was It was interesting from the very beginning. The vocal mic choices that uh, some really vintage tube microphones that in Nashville are designed for singers it was, i i had a sm7 a sure mic seven which is a good live uh room and a good sounding microphone but i i told the engineer i said you got a 250 vintage 251 over there and you're putting this sm7 on me and he i said what are you going to do with that mic and he said oh i'm going to put it on your guitar and i said you're going to put it on my guitar not on my voice and i said why and he said because the electric guitar amp is six feet away from where you are <laughs> and there's going to be bleed. And I said, oh, yeah, good man. So I knew we were in for fun then because that 
that meant what that said to me that they were planning to record what we played that we weren't going to be manufacturing a record so everything and my boy jed hughes from out there north of uh adelaide was playing guitar um and he he was six feet away from me you know blasting away on some 12 watt amplifier that just sounded great so I knew I was in for fun. It was it was real recording, and I I brought some of my friends from Nashville, and and Jeff pro, uh, provided himself and the drummers, and we just had a lot of fun. It's a clubhouse there. The loft is 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 a playground with vintage instruments. I took a couple of my guitars, and I only played my guitar on one of my guitars on one song the rest of the time i just went around cherry picking jeff's guitars you've said that it reminds you of you of your first album in fact the cover kind of echoes that i guess the feeling you had was kind of more spontaneous there from the way you've described it and uh, that would sort of remind you of those early days i guess yes uh, actually the chicago sessions was more spontaneous but, you know, on my first album, there, there is a session with Jim Keltner on drums and Ry Cooter on slide guitar and Mac Rebinac, Dr. John on piano, and, and where we, we recorded Elvira, Emmy Lou, and I, all of it live. And what, what we played is what's on that record. And uh, I remember that so clearly, thinking, wow, this is how they made records in the 50s. And... Uh, um, I was delighted. Well, Jeff has paid you a compliment by saying it's the closest he thinks you'll come to working with writers such as Towns Van Zant. In fact, there's a Towns song on the album for Felice and Boudelot Bryant. That's uh, high praise indeed from a. I guess he's a. I guess we could consider him a veteran <laughs> now, couldn't we? Although he's a lot younger than us. Yeah, he's a veteran. I mean, quite so. He's been. He's been. He's been a working musician for a long time. He's. Hasn't he? younger than I am by nearly a couple of decades, but he's a veteran and uh, he's a lovely, lovely chap to record with because he doesn't mess with things unless they need messing with. It's like, he doesn't, he's not, doesn't feel like he's got to put his thumbprint on any, anything. When we were barking up the wrong tree, he would step out and say, Hey, you know, you ought to rethink this, but, and he would come out and play with us, you know, pick up a guitar and play with us. And it was, it was just making music. That record is just, hey, here are these, here are these songs. How are we going to play them? Not much thought about it. We just started playing and it turned out the way it did. They just played to me singing is what, what happened. Is he different in personality to some of the other producers you've worked with? You you mentioned that he'd sort of only step in when he felt that he had to. What's he, what sort of a person is he in the studio? He seems to be quite you know uh, unassuming a, as a person. You know, um, was he easy to get along with? Oh, uh, oh, he's oh great, yeah, lovely to get along with. But uh, uh, he's not unassuming. He is assuming. Yeah. He knows what he likes. He knows what he likes and he knows what he doesn't like. And uh, and it, it, it just so happens that what what I like and, and don't like would 
pretty well matched up with to what he likes and what he doesn't like. So, you know, there was no there was no clash of no, there was never a clash of opinions or direction. Come to think of it, the times that I've been a producer myself, whenever Jeff would walk in and and give some direction to the, the musicians, I knew he was right. And and which the the gift of that was that I didn't have to think about what he was thinking about. I was just the only thing I was thinking about was playing the guitar, getting the songs right, and trying to sing it in tune. And that is, that's the best way for me to make records. Sometimes for for financial reasons, I can't afford to hire a producer and I have to produce my own records. It's a lot harder work than the Chicago sessions because I, I wasn't listening to everybody else. I was listening to me. And I knew that Jeff had everybody else in his sights. And that's a gift. Was I felt that way about Joe Henry, working with Joe Henry. A very similar uh, disposition and, and uh, uh, bedside manner, really gentle, but wise, and which the kind of gentleness and why, and wisdom that gives you confidence. I've worked with I've worked with producers before who just flat out didn't like what I was singing, and the way I was singing it. That's not easy. That's hard work. That record didn't come out. <laughs> upon a way back when misery was my best friend always running from a misspent youth cold and empty as a payphone booth i might have known a girl i too by nothing even close to you anyone with eyes could see i'd had about enough of me how many times have i heard myself say if I hadn't got lucky, if I hadn't had you on my side, I wouldn't be standing here today. There's a bit of a bluesy rock and roll feeling to the album on, on quite a few tracks. Um, for example, Oh Miss Claudia is very bluesy. It sounds like, a, I'm trying to think who, who uh, a blues man that could do that. Or Earl, Earl, Earl Burnside. Mm, yeah, or... Uh, very much... I mean, I mean, I picked it up. There's an Oriel Burnside uh, recording called Oh, Miss Maybell, let me be your jumping frog. I drank muddy water, sleep in a hollow log, which I played to death. And then one day I was playing the guitar and I go, Oh, Miss Claudia, you sure been good to me. And I, man, I was just ripping off Oriel Burnside. Claudia, you sure been good for me. 
ass clawing Girl, you sure been good for me And there's a bit of honky-tonk piano on Lucky and Ever the Dark is a rocker. So it shows quite a few sides of Rodney Crowell's musical personality, doesn't it? Yeah, well, I would think that the, the bluesy side of it, I was expl- I've was i been exploring that for a number of years. It took, it took me a long time. Where I, The music I grew up on, Hank Williams and... East Houston country music came coming out of Nashville. Hank Williams for a long time was my understanding of the blues. Of course, I, I got waylaid by uh, Lightning Hopkins in college. And I, I said, wow, this is just so otherworldly that I, I can't even take a swing at this. But as I've gotten older, I've discovered my version of the blues. And I really quite enjoy it. It's it actually the kind of the guitar playing that I do within my version. What I what acoustic country blues is gives me a great amount of enjoyment. I did it on you know issues and blues was is on um, oh, a couple of records back. Close ties, which is that was I had been experimenting with acoustic country blues. So yeah, thanks for thanks for drawing attention to that because it's been very much on my mind for a while. Ever the dark come calling Ever the ground gonna shake Ever it don't stop raining Ever the dam gonna break Now and then we let a little light in And then we're back again drawing the blinds Ever the dark come calling Ever the sun don't shine I'm tired of shooting myself in the foot Every shotgun blast Renders my best laid plans kaput Flies my flag half mast Even when I've been keeping my mind right Setting my sights on the world Ever the dark come calling Ever the light lay low Look, in most cases, you can take record company PR with a grain of salt. But in this case, when it claims that this is one of your best albums, I think you'd probably agree with that, wouldn't you? Yeah, I would say for a while. And I, and the reason it may I think the reason it's my best album for a while is that it was so unconsciously recorded. I mean, Jeff certainly produced it, but it wasn't like the music was produced. The music was just allowed to happen. Oftentimes, I mean, I've written really good songs that are, you know, on, a, on on an album, but was not capable or was not in a position to record them with that much um, uh, laissez-faire. Is that the, that's a good word? Laissez-faire, J- just just in the moment, just playing a song. It's like a Townsend song, "No Place to Fall" on the album. I was. I, I said to Jeff, I said, you know, Towns played me this song, a guy and Susanna Clark's breakfast table when I was 22 years old. I said, I've always wanted to record it. Yeah, let's record it right there. And there and two takes and we got it. I mean, that's not, but I've been playing that song since I first heard Towns play it, just 
to myself, to somebody sitting around playing songs, I'd say, oh, you know this one. And so I played it for 50 years more. And um, there you are. Just in a matter of two minutes, it was decided that we would record it. And in 10 minutes, we had a recording. If I had no place to fall And I needed to Could I count on you To lay me down I'd never tell you no lies I don't believe it's wise You've got pretty eyes Won't you dance me around Time, she's a fast old train She's here and she's gone And she won't come again So won't you take my well, you also visit, revisit another song, earlier song, You're Supposed to Be Feeling Good, don't you, as well? They're, they're probably the, the two older songs on, on the album, about the rest being... Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I wrote You're Supposed to Be Feeling Good a long time ago. Uh, Amy Lou recorded it in 76, maybe, somewhere in there. Luxury Liner, her album. Mm-hmm. I always always liked it. I wasn't... I always liked the composition, the music composition of it. I wasn't entirely happy with the lyric and I over the years I've perfected the lyric from my perspective and I don't I've, I've wanted to record it for the last 35 years and it just so happened that I finally hit on something that I thought ah I've got it and I showed it to to Jeff and he said yes I think you've got it and off we go that song was probably the hardest song to record on the album to get what we got. We worked for that one. The rest of them just happened. We worked for that one. And I like how it turned out. It's it's how, and I'm glad I, I'm glad it took this long to get to it because had I recorded it in 1991, it wouldn't have, it wouldn't have sounded like that. It wouldn't have been that organic. I see you down there Waiting for daybreak To soften your heartache Last night I treated you badly But I love you madly Come high tide or low Wounds from God only knows when Doing us both in is a hard way to go And here's what I know You're supposed to be feeling good 
There's a song on the album that I reckon is really important. I think a lot of people would identify with, particularly after the last few years, a really optimistic song called Somebody Loves You. Yeah, well, it's cynical too. Mm. You know, the, the, the cynicism about poor white people and poor black people. The first verse, the first verse is about a poor white guy. Mm. Like, yeah, you know, somebody loves you. And it's like organized religion is trying to sell him a bill of goods, this is your way to heaven. You know, it's okay if you starve to death because you live the righteous way, you're going to go to heaven. And, the, and you know, and the black man is like, you know, we poison your water. And, uh, but, but hey, somebody loves you and you know who they're talking about. And, I, and um, it is my belief that that somebody does love these somebodies, but not in the way that the dogma is presented. So... Uh, there's a, I'm coming from a cynical place and an optimistic place. You know, hey, I straddled, to, I straddled the fence quite cleverly there, didn't I? Well, I took it more in the optimistic sense, but now I'm going to have to go back and reread re it. <laughs> um, yeah, well, I'm talking about climate change in there. I mean, <laughs> yeah, go check it out, man. You might change your mind. I might. <laughs> The dark side of nowhere They're taking your lumps And no education Much to speak of Nothing to live for When push comes to shove You dial the wrong number And they put you on hold but somebody loves you Or so we've been told There's lead in the water well, You mentioned Jed. You, you wrote the song Loving You is the Only Way to Fly with Jed and Sarah Buxton. And uh, it's interesting that you mentioned the title sprang from something Ben Vaughan said, one of the great kind of underrated musicians. Do you know Ben? Are you a friend of Ben's? Yeah, yeah, I don't know Ben. Ben, ben and I wrote a, a song I really like a, a lot called uh, <laughs> uh, 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 when, uh, when Losers Rule the World. Sometimes I have to play the good to remember the song. And we had a ball, and, and I, I, I remembered him throwing the title out, but actually I did, I did mention it, and I thought I took it from, from something he said, and I didn't give him credit for it. But but he sent me a text the other day saying, "Hey, yeah, no, I, I had, I have a song called Loving Is the Only Way to Fly.' That's how you knew about it." He said, "But yours is nothing like mine." So he said, "I know you didn't rip me off, so no problem." But I thought, I thought it was a title he threw out there. Why I still want you, I don't know 
finally, in talking about the songs, uh, the album ends with Ready to Move On. Is there a message there? You say, I'm tired to the bone. I don't want to be left alone. I hope that's not the case. Yeah, at the, at the, well, at the time, yeah. Haven't you ever felt like, hey, leave me alone? You know, <laughs> all the, all I'm tired of this. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't mean I, I mean, I'm not throwing in the towel. I'm just saying, hey, you know, leave me alone. I like, you know, I like my time alone. I'm a, I'm a combination of, of an introvert and an extrovert. I'm happy right here making up songs. I could do just that and be happy as I can be. But I'm also happy on a stage being an extrovert. I'm a strange bird that way. I guess a lot of us are, but I mean, but I'm also, it's, 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 there's a little po- politics at the end. I'm kind of going yin and yang with, you know, no right, no wrong. All of the stuff that they try to stuff down our throats, you know, just leave me alone with that stuff. I want to read Don Quixote. <laughs> <laughs> uh, when are we going to see you out in Australia? You're going out on tour in May, I think in the States. When are we going to see you back here? <laughs> well you know i was uh, just before i before I, I was before i knew we were gonna speak i was thinking well you know my uh with with guns being what they are here and my um, i have four daughters and they're militant you know trying to to get gun we're all my family's all trying to get gun control and, and well you know we could we could head out for new zealand or for, or for australia we could just all move in mass down there. I bet you I could work in Australia. I bet you I could work. Yeah, you know, I bet I could. I could probably make a living in in uh, Australia. I think you could. So make- I threw that out there. I threw that out there, and nobody knocked it down in my family. So, just we'll just have to keep an eye on what's happening here because, uh, I mean, we've lost the thread, and I, I'm like. I'm not kidding about that. Uh, listen, i got to wrap it up. Thanks very much for your time. Great to talk to you again. Congratulations on an absolutely terrific album. And uh, I'll keep an eye on the real estate here for you. Okay, good man. Okay. All right, thanks, bud. See nice to bye. see you. Tired to the bone And I want to be left alone Let my memberships expire Read Don Quixote by the fire Now there's a man apart indeed Perched upon his stalwart steed Fighting windmills with a stick And his friends all think he's sick You know there'll come a day when none of this will matter It will all be so much mindless chatter We won't look at each other and scoff 
the day we turned the TV off No right, no wrong No weak, no strong No black, no white No dark, no light No in, no out No faith, no doubt No red From his latest no album produced by Jeff Tweedy and no engineered fat, by Tom Schick, no that's Rodney Crowell with no the song that ends the album Ready to Move On. And I've been talking to Rodney Crowell in this edition of the Rhythms Podcast. The other tracks we heard from the album, Loving You is the Only Way to Fly, Somebody Loves You, You're Supposed to Be Feeling Good, Ever the Dark, Oh Miss Claudia, Lucky and Everything at Once. I hope you enjoyed this Rhythms Podcast and our conversation with Rodney Crowell. If you want to find out anything more about Rhythms Magazine, just go to the website rhythms.com.au. I'll be back soon with another Rhythms podcast. Thanks for joining me.